Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Welcome. My name is John. I'm a recovering sexaholic. The topic I'll be sharing on today is rigorous honesty. Please turn off any electronics and please do not record any of this session. In the spirit of the fifth tradition to carry the message, this session is being streamed live on the internet around the globe. In addition, it is also being recorded. The streaming and recorder will not be turned off during this session. If you do not want to be live-streamed or recorded but need to share, we encourage you to attend another non-streamed and non-recorded meeting. Please do not touch the recording equipment. When it is time to share, come up to the front and sit next to us, or sit next to me, lined up to use the microphone. I'll shift the microphone over to the side here uh, so that you can use it. Uh, Please leave the microphone on the table and don't touch it because it does make noise on the recording. And please be careful tapping on the table as you come up. So uh, that also makes noise on the recording. Uh, Let's begin with a moment of silence for all those still suffering or unable to attend the meeting followed by the serenity prayer. Serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. Amen. All right. Um, Again, our topic is rigorous honesty. Uh, I will share for about five or six minutes, maybe a little bit more since uh, I'm the only one here. Uh, about how this topic applies in my life. Uh, Then we'll open up the meeting for all of you to share. You'll each have uh, two minutes to share before I'll call time, uh, and I will time you on my phone here. The the beeper is very quiet and unobtrusive, so I may, you know, be a little bit aggressive with letting you know that the time is up. Uh, It's nothing personal. So I haven't figured out how to change the volume on that thing. Um, All right. Uh, Uh, my name is John. I'm a sexaholic. <clears throat> um, I'm powerless over lust, uh, and my acting out has taken the form of compulsive masturbation using fantasy, euphoric recall, and internet pornography. I've dated women for sex, including married women. I've used women as objects. And it's a loss of my sobriety to Google women, and I'm gratefully sober since February 1st of 2004. Uh, I wanted to start... Uh, because um, start with a couple readings because um, I, I always find it helpful to go to the literature first. Uh, and in terms of rigorous honesty, there's a few things that, that sort of jumped out at me. One of them is on page 58 of the big book. Uh, how it works. Uh, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to the simple program usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. There are such unfortunates. They are not at fault. They seem to have been born that way. They are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. Their chances are less than average. Less than average means what? Less than 50%. If you're a hitter in baseball... That's not such a big deal, but if you're trying to live a life, less than 50% doesn't sound very good. Page 24 out of the 12 and 12. Who wishes to be rigorously honest and tolerant? 
who wishes to confess his faults to another and make restitution for harm done, who cares anything about a higher power, let alone meditation and prayer, who wants to sacrifice time and energy in trying to carry AA's message to the next sufferer. No, the average alcoholic or sexaholic, self-centered in the extreme, doesn't care for this prospect unless he has to do these things in order to stay alive himself. So rigorous honesty comes about, as I understand it, from a certain level of desperation uh, that there's just no other way. Lastly, page 186 out of the White Book, a, and from my experience, a underutilized reading called Meetings, How They Work. Um, it talks about... Uh, how do we uh, conduct our programs and meetings as to walk in the light? And one, one way is by telling the sides of our stories we really don't want to tell. This is different from a mere sexologue relating our sexual experiences. It is a rigorous, self-searching, and self-revealing honesty about every aspect of our lives. We are fitting the pieces of our lives together differently every time we tell our stories or share. Another point is by telling exactly where we are today, where we're failing today, as well as where we're succeeding. I'm as sick as my secrets, the saying goes. So we reveal our secrets, we bring the inside out. Self-honesty and humility, yet so powerful. We lead with our weaknesses. Um, rigorous honesty. You know, uh, I avoided honesty most of my life. When I was a kid, uh, it didn't feel safe to be honest in my family. Um, I remember being in fear most of the time, uh, and I learned that I didn't get yelled at and didn't get punished nearly as much if I invented uh, another version of things. I lied, basically. Uh, and I told my parents what I thought they wanted to hear. I wasn't very good at it when I started. I was only four or five years old. But the older I got, I had plenty of opportunity to practice and get better. So I became a really good liar. Um, fast forward uh, quite some time, and I was desperate enough to give this program a fair shake. And it took me a long time to be able to talk about things that... I was really uncomfortable talking about. Um, when I came into the room for the first time on a Saturday morning in Chicago, there were maybe 15 people sitting around the room. Some of them had accents. They were clearly from some other country. Uh, and they all turned around and looked at me when I walked in the door because I didn't want to walk in, so I was late. Um, but I sat down, and everybody shared, just like I did at the beginning of this session, and they checked in with what they were powerless over, and I knew I, I was in the right place. I got a sponsor that day, uh, and he said, call me every day and talk about the things that make you uncomfortable. And, man, that was hard. But at the time, I was so willing to do it, I knew no other option. So I told him I was scared. I told him that, uh, you know, Every day when I came home from work, I was in so much pain because I couldn't masturbate anymore that I just fell on the floor and cried. Uh, and um, it didn't feel so bad to do that, actually. And that was my first taste of, of, of being rigorously honest. And that was, that was good as far as it went, you know. Uh, I was doing well for um, a couple of years. And then as part of my work... Uh, I was um, I was part of a, a trip out of the country with uh, a group of young men and young women in their 20s and 30s. Uh, this lasted for about a month, um, and I thought I did pretty well, given that I had limited access to phone calls and no access to meetings. But at the end of the trip, one of the women in the tr in the group. Uh, uh, asked to talk to me. The group was staying in a hotel, and so I knew better than to close the door behind me with a with a, a woman uh, that was on the trip. So we sat on the balcony in full view of everybody, and she told me how how much how she was really interested in. 
being able to go out and I said, you know, I, that's not what I do. Uh, I'm not interested. And she says, okay, I understand you don't want to lose your job, but we can keep this a secret. And I was, I was just sitting here going, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do with this? And, um, you know, uh, there are times when a, when a fertile imagination can be good because I looked over her shoulder and I fantasized my sponsor sitting on the rail watching this whole thing. <laughs> <clears throat> Not saying a word, but just sitting there thoughtfully, just kind of, you know, sitting on the rail. And I kept a good boundary there. I said, no, thank you. I am not interested. I am going to go into my room and close the door. And that's it. End of story. And that's what happened. Um, So we got back to the U.S. Everything's fine. uh, And she starts emailing me. And these were some very provocative emails. And then there came a point where... uh, I don't remember the the specific situation. I think it was a a long day or I was tired or something like that. And I went, I decided, um, you know, I'd been saving the emails because I wanted to go to my boss and I had gone to my boss and I said, hey, look, this is what's going on. I need you to know about this and I need help. Uh, He he says, okay, save the emails. We'll we'll talk to the uh, attorney and see what can be done. So great. So I saved the emails. It, after a couple of days, I start going back to the emails, and I start reading the emails. And I read the emails again, and a third time, and a fourth time that night. Soon, I'm on the Internet, and I am uh, using Google to learn what I can about this woman. Uh, there's not much out there, as it turns out. And so then I think, well, there was that other woman on the trip. Maybe I could learn about her. And so I start doing some research on her. Uh, and there are photos of this woman online, nothing provocative. But because I am basically lusting at this point, uh, I'm starting to get aroused. This lasted for about, gosh, um, I want to say an hour. And I closed the computer down, turned off the lights, and went to sleep. Next morning, I wake up and say, wow, you know, boy, that was close. Uh, I don't have to say anything about it. It'll be fine. And so, you know, I carried on my day, and I carried on the next day, and I carried on the next week. But something was always bugging me. There was something gnawing at the back of my head, saying, you know, maybe you should talk about this with your sponsor. I'm like, what? Nothing happened. You know, I'm not, it's not going to happen again. It'll be fine. Uh, and I did that for about three weeks, until finally I couldn't live with myself anymore. And it wasn't necessarily because I was aware that because if I didn't talk about this, my chances were less than average. Um, It was partially because uh, I had, by this time, I had been sober for about five and a half years. And I had worked really hard, really hard to get my integrity back. And I just couldn't live with the fact that I, I would be selling it down the river. So um, I picked up the phone, and I called my sponsor, and I got his voicemail. And so it's just like, oh, geez, I hate to leave this on a voicemail. But I did it anyway because I knew that I, I had to. I had to get it out. Um, he called me back, and in his kind and loving way, I don't know if, uh, well, he, he, he let me know he was unhappy. Uh, and uh, he was shocked, he was stunned, and he said, uh, his direction was, call everybody that you normally talk to and call all the senior members of the meeting 
and tell them what you did exactly and in detail, how long you did it, and if this ever happens again, that's a loss of your sobriety. That's why I say in my qualification, it is a loss of my sobriety to Google women. This was something that for me was hard to do. But ultimately, I made six, seven calls that day. Uh, I remember vividly going to work. I, had a, a, I was in a new position, uh, and I went and I worked closely with my boss that day, and I was just completely downcast and almost lifeless, absent of energy. And uh, my boss didn't say anything. Um, I could tell she saw that something was off. I spent the rest of the evening making all these phone calls to all these people. And when I was done, uh, half of them were messages. The other half I talked to live. Um, and most of these guys said basically the same thing, which was, thank you for bringing that out into the light, and thank God you don't have to do that kind of stuff anymore. Thanks for, for cleaning up your act and, and, and being honest. Um, and I felt fantastic. It felt great to get clean. Um, I'm not going to stay clean. I'm going to do things, take a look, take a glance, maybe judge somebody, engage in fear. Uh, but the thing is, I can bring out everything to the men and women in my group, talk about it, and let it go. The best part is, if these people see a pattern that I'm unaware of, they have the courage and they love me enough to come up to me and say something about it. Say, have you talked to your sponsor about this? You know, I've noticed you've said the same thing about three or four weeks in a row. It's like, you know what? Thank you for bringing that up because they want to see me stick around. They don't want to see me relapse or go back out there and not come back. How am I doing on time? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I ran over a little bit. I guess what I'll say is, um, you know, I, uh, I, I know what it's like to be rigorously honest. I know what it's like to not be rigorously honest, and I prefer the former over the latter uh, whenever I can. So I appreciate your listening. Um, you now have the opportunity to share with the group. Please focus on the topic of the meeting, rigorous honesty. Like sharing in any essay meeting, please limit your sharing to the topic, avoiding explicit description or distracting comments, and focusing on the solution rather than the problem. Please do not share anything that legally would have to be reported to the authorities. Please line up to our uh, to my left, to your right, so we don't have to wait for each person to come up. Please speak loudly enough for all to hear. You will each have two minutes to share. So the floor is now open. Hi, I'm Kyle. I'm a sexaholic. Um, being honest hurts, or at least it hurts for me, so that's why I'm up here first to try to get it over with. Um, I, I feel like I couldn't be in a better place, geographically at least, and yet inside I still have felt all weekend the need to isolate. Um... Like, I, oh, well, I need some alone time. I need some time for me. And that has largely been, well, some of it was okay initially. And sometimes I ended up calling my wife in that time, so it was still a connection. But I don't know why. I'm just driven still, like, every few hours. Oh, I need some time for myself. And it's just, that's the last thing I need. <laughs> More time with me is not what I need. Um, I need to be with you. So last night... Um, instead of going to the late meeting, I went back to my room and I just lay in bed and I tried to fall asleep. Um, but first I figured it'd be wise to go on my phone for a little while and just have no plan of action whatsoever. Um, and so I ended up on this video site and sometimes it's uncanny how I can find the things because this site wouldn't necessarily have much of anything. It's, it's not... It's not YouTube, it's just, it's something else and it's not, um, 
but somehow I found the site that just had like a half a, or the video that had a half a second of nudity in it, like instantly. Um, I did not act out. I threw the phone off the bed, I ended up falling asleep. But then again, today I feel this need to just to isolate. And so I went up to the room again before this meeting um, and decided I should turn the television on and go on my phone again aimlessly. And uh, what's that actress's name in that movie? And that had a scene in it that was super triggering for me. Um, and so I ended up looking at pictures of her and um, again, didn't act out, but just I just felt until a few minutes ago, just really, really ashamed. I feel ashamed on account of my roommates. Um, I just feel ashamed that I have all of this goodness around me, and i that's what I've decided to do. But as I walked into the hall, two program members randomly just approached me and started talking about how they feel isolated here. And I was like, okay. And uh, I didn't know where I was going to go, but I followed, thank you for a guy with a tattoo on your leg, but I he's... <laughs> I. <laughs> There's a long-haired guy with a tattoo on his leg of the of the uh, Statue of Liberty, and he said, I'm going to rigorous honesty. And I said, wow, I better just follow this guy. So, <laughs> so thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Hi, my name's Dick from Recovering Sexaholic from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And uh, I just wanted to give away two things. Uh, I had promised a person or two that I would get up here in front of one of these mics. So that's what I'm doing now. Uh, like Kyle, uh, I have problems with feeling isolated and lonely. Can you hear me now better? Oh, okay, obviously. Uh, like Kyle, I have uh, problems of feeling of isolation and uh, loneliness, uh, especially in group situations. Uh, so I've talked about it uh, with some of the people I know and uh, have been doing this Pretty well for, for this, but it's work. Uh, the other thing I wanted to give away was my sobriety has been pretty good lately. I've, I've worked, I've worked real hard at it. But one of the things that really does help is this doesn't happen very often, but every now and then I wake up in the middle of the night with a porn vision, uh, uh on my mind. I don't, most of the time I don't know why it's there. Uh, I don't get into it. Uh, I'm, I'm usually out of it. It maybe take me, uh, two or three seconds to realize that I'm just waking up and I'm have this, uh, before I get out of it. But the most important thing is, is that I talk about it the very next day. I have to give it away the very next day to at least two or three people. Uh, and that's what, uh, helps takes the power away for me. Thank you. Hi, my name is Isaac. I'm a very grateful recovering sex addict. God has given me the gift of sobriety for a little over seven years. Grateful for every single one of those days. You know, when my wife found out, my wife is not my ex-wife, but when she found out what happened, uh, we ended up going to Colorado Springs in an intensive. And this therapist, one of his main uh, things of recovery is taking polygraph tests, you know, I took about his first year. He's supposed to take about four. I think I took all four and it was one of the most humbling experiences, you know, doing a polygraph test and being able to answer the questions honestly, because living a double life over 20 years, it's complete dishonesty, you know? And one of the questions that I was most proud of that I was able to answer each time was, have you lied to your wife about anything, anything at all, having nothing to do with acting out. And I answered that honestly each time, you know, and, uh, you know, the, the honesty is so important once we enter a recovery about anything with anybody, you know, um, even now I can share something that I, I haven't yet shared. And last week I, I went out with, uh, with a girl and I didn't have time to go home and change and shower. And I was in Manhattan trying to figure out how to take a shower and just kind of clean up 90 degrees or whatever. I couldn't find a place, you know, except for like a men's spa. And then you got to get a massage. And that was one of my MOs. So I, I went to a men's spa and ended up getting a massage by a guy, which isn't an MO of mine. It wasn't triggering or anything. But towards the end of it, he, you know, put his hand in an appropriate place. And I jumped right away. I said, don't do that, you know. And 
I need to share these things. I need to be honest with myself and uh, with the group and my sponsor and all that. It's an extremely important part of my recovery. So I appreciate you guys listening. I'm Ken G, a sexaholic. I'm very thankful for John's meaningful, powerful share. Uh, John said something that was meaningful to me. He talked about feeling clean. And I remember when I did my ninth step and I did my amends and to my adult children disclosure at the same time. My, my children were not aware. And the amends were powerful, but just the disclosure was powerful. My adult children knew for the first time that I was a sexaholic. And they still gave me a hug and said, yeah, but you were, you were still a good daddy anyway. And it felt so good to be clean. But, you know, I can't take six showers today and then go for six days. You know, i got to shower every day. And it's the same way with my addiction. I have to get clean every day. Once I've gotten clean, all that work to go through all those steps and to get clean took me years to do it. Why would I want to start building that dirt back up again? And so I have to stay clean every day. And boy, there's no better reason, to be honest. I feel clean. Thanks, John. Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. Uh, this is Andrew uh, from Baltimore. And I am a uh, grateful sexaholic that this uh, program of recovery uh, exists by God's grace. And I don't have to uh, throw my life away um, by, you know, through this program. Uh, I um, deal with a fetish, and this is not a fetish meeting, so I'm not going to uh, share the specifics of it. If any of you wants to wants to know, I'll be happy to share after the time. But uh, again, it's it's uh, it's it is important that uh, there are appropriate people with whom I can share. I, I heard uh, someone share a, a while back that you know within uh, the realm of all addictions, I mean, sex uh, sex addiction is the one that people. You know, just don't talk about or that's unacceptable. And then within the realm of sex addiction, you know, fetishes is, is the area that, you know, people just don't talk about. And of course, those are, those are barriers uh, to honesty. Um, you know, alcoholism has become, I don't know, culturally acceptable. You know, oh, you're, you know, you, you know, someone shares, oh, yeah, I'm, I, I'm an alcoholic and I'm started going to AA. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, that's, you know, anyway. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just, uh, and again, I mean, appropriate people. I, I heard someone else say, take your, take my mess to my sponsor and my message to the group. So again, it's, it's nice to share it with my uh, sponsor. And again, uh, on page three of the white book, uh, there is uh, the caution, uh, that newcomers to Sexaholics Anonymous not, uh, reveal their sexual past to a spouse or family member. Uh, who doesn't know know of it uh, without careful consideration in a period of sexual sobriety, and even then only after prior discussion with SA sponsor or group. So again, we have uh, we we encourage rigorous honesty, but there are guides to that. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Andrew. Hello, I'm Jim. I'm a sexaholic. Um, I'm really glad to be up here today sharing. Um, I've been to several. SA conferences, but this one feels different. Like I'm starting almost from scratch. I haven't shared until this, this share. And I just feel like I'm learning a lot of, uh, experience and sharing for the first time. Um, I've been living, uh, in the program. I think I've found a, a way to deceive myself within what appeared to be recovery by slipping, every week or two weeks. Um, but just being very general about it, like, Oh, I looked at some porn or, Oh, I masturbated, but never getting down below the surface of, well, why did I do that? Or what specifically did I do that caused me to, to slip? And I've, I've kind of gotten into this comfortable rut that is not getting me any better, not getting me any more sober. And in the talks I've heard in this conference has taught me that I need to re-examine 
what I share with my sponsor and what I share with my group and be more honest. I thought in some way by not sharing the details, I was protecting other people from hearing my problem in too much detail, but I think I'm only harming myself by basically keeping secrets about myself within the program. I not, by just being too general, I guess. And, uh, the other thing that's different about this conference, I've had a chance to serve and it's kept me from feeling alone because I'm working with other people in the program and we're working on something together, which is for everybody to have a good conference. And that I just encourage people. It's, it was a big leap of faith for me to try to serve. And I had to consult my sponsor and my wife about it, but I'm glad I did because I, I feel more connected doing that. So thank you. Uh, Patrick, I'm a sex addict. So I, I thank you very much for that, for the theme. And I really truly believe that when you, when I keep secrets in my life, I'm alone basically in the darkness and there's no strength there. I'm thinking the way my addict thinks, or at least I'm very exposed. Um, <clears throat> I'm in a tr- moment of transition in my life right now. And, um, I had to, I went up to my room now to book Airbnb because I'm going where I'm going for a month. And there were three options. Two of them were single women. And, and I was uh, right away. My attic is thinking, well, okay, this is, you know, there's, or deep subtly it's down there. You know, there's a no, possibility here or whatever. And, um, and, you know, only thanks to the program, thanks to being here. You know, I, I, I didn't accept those two. I went to, to an, uh, someone else, you know, another family. So, um, and it feels good to be able to say, you know, I had the freedom and I chose, made the right decision. And I know it's because of just the honesty that God gave me the grace to have so far that I've been here. And I truly believe that you're as sick as your secrets. I know in my own life when I don't have that honesty, when I don't tell the appropriate people, uh, again, I'm alone with the darkness and the darkness is, you know, is, is more powerful and I'm, I'm powerless over it. So just, uh, very grateful to be here. I'm kind of new to, not new to the program, but I'm new to sobriety and uh, I need a lot of grace and prayers. And so I think it's very strengthening to uh, be here and to feel the strength and the prayer and the grace that comes from all of you. So thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Kirsten. I'm a sexaholic from Seattle. I'm grateful to have been sober since July 7th, 2015. Um, Rigorous honesty is a topic that I need to hear more about because I'm really bad at being honest with myself. I have been really good at deceiving my own brain and my ego and my addict thinking comes up with rationalizations and justifications of my actions that I'm really powerless to combat intellectually. And I'm a very intellectually inclined person and I would like to think that I can outsmart those thoughts and I really cannot. Um, for me recently, this has been especially true at work. I lie to myself thinking, oh, it's okay if I read the news for five minutes, I'm entitled to a break. And then a half an hour later, um, you know, I'm still off on some tangent and it doesn't feel like lust, but it feels very obsessive and it feeds my addict thinking and rationalizing. And it has been so difficult to be honest about it with myself and with my sponsor and other people in the program. And, um, the times when I do come in and I have to make amends, I have to, um, make up time that I spend, uh, stealing from my employer and in that way. And, um, when I do come in and I don't, I don't goof off, it feels so good. It feels so good. Thank you. My name is Matt. I'm a sexaholic, and I'm gratefully sober since April 1st to 15, thanks to you people. Um, yeah, I was just moved by moved by the share and, and by the room and being here today, and I just felt like I needed to share uh, some stuff that came up for me uh, this afternoon, which was just around, I didn't really know how to be honest when I first came into these rooms, and... Uh, I had carried a secret with me for, I think, since the age of five that I had never shared that led to a lot of relapses for me uh, and, and a part of my acting out. But when I came into these rooms, it was uh, the people and, the, and, the, and how people shared 
that kind of gave me the courage to to let that go and to bring it forward, which was really powerful. And and today it's it's the example of the people who are still making it that just keep me in these rooms and and following their example of being honest. So um, just really grateful for that. And that's uh, that's it. So thanks. Hi, my name is Laser. I'm recovering sexaholic. Um, I've been to a couple of conventions never shared before, so I'm pretty nervous. Thank you, John, for your share. I relate a lot to growing up with a lot of dishonesty and secrets and having to put up the outside that everything is fine and hide all the, all the defects, so to speak. Uh, for me, what helps is, um, being so much, um, used to be dishonest is I have one program member who I'm very close with that I feel comfortable that he's not going to judge me on anything. So with him, I'm comfortable to share. So even with my sponsor, sometimes I'm not comfortable to share. Once I share with this guy and I break this, I break the secret. It's much easier for me afterwards to share with my sponsor, share the meeting. So that is one thing that helps me a lot. Um, for me, honesty is very hard just to be honest with myself. There's so many instances that I'm rationalizing that I'm not doing anything wrong. And when I share it with my sponsor, he's pointing out to me that, you know, you are wrong and you have to fix that. But I, I'm, it's very hard for me to be honest with myself. So, um, bringing out to the light now something which is very hard for me to share, uncomfortable is, um, I grew up with, um, gender segregation. So for me coming into this meeting, sitting down, my head automatically by default went like, is there a woman sitting next to me that when we're going to do this, the prayer, when we're going to finish the meeting, if I'm going to hold hand with a woman, because for me, that's something that I didn't grow up with. And I don't know as of now if it's lost or it's just I want to get rid of my um, way of growing up, which I don't like. So I don't know as of now even what it is. So I'm just sharing it. Thanks for letting me share. Hi, I'm Zachary. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, y'all. Uh, I really appreciated what was shared earlier about integrity and feeling clean because my disease wants to, my disease is smarter than I am and it wants to jack things up and it's really, it lies to me in ways that I, I can't. It's cunning, baffling, powerful. That's the best way to put it. And that idea of clean makes it so simple. Whereas I, I struggle with a fetish like someone else mentioned earlier. And I won't get into the details, but it wouldn't, what some people wouldn't really look at as pornography or sexual. And. You know, there's that part of my disease that's like, well, it's not really porn, so did you act out? And kind of like that idea of like, well, do I want to beat myself up if I, you know, draw the line here and call that my sobriety bottom line? Well, whatever. But that just muddies the water so much, and it simplifies it. That idea of I just want to be clean with my conscience and that's what rigorous honesty is. And I don't have to do this fancy dance around whatever. I can just have that simple rule and share with people and that be that. And so I appreciate that reminder because I <laughs> I need plenty of reminders. There's also, to be rigorously honest, in the few seconds I have left on this timer... Uh, there's a part of me that feels shame or or feels less than like, man, I'm one of those people that struggles with rigorous honesty and I, you know, I'm a loser because of that. I'm in the, 
I have the less than average thing going on. I'm not going to make it, but I need to share that. So thanks. Just a, a quick, uh, quick addendum. Um, you know, Harvey uh, has said plenty of times that uh, I think it's easy for us to forget that we suffer from a disease that, you know, this isn't about being bad or being good. Uh, it's about uh, being sick and getting well. Um, and it's, I know that I, I <laughs> challenged with that even today, that, uh, that the shame is a mirage. It's a red herring. It's a, it's, it's just, it's almost, it's not to say it doesn't exist, but it's like the shame is, is getting in the way of recovery. So I think, uh, uh, remembering this is an illness is helpful for me. Uh, my name is Jim, recovering sexaholic. And, uh, in my library, they have a sign up and it says, uh, English as a second language. And I spent a lot of time, you know, journaling on recovery there. And I've thought about, um, in my addiction line as a second language. Um, I became, and starting like other people have said at maybe the age of five and six, um, being honest in my family was pretty much a death sentence. I mean, it just, just, it just, it just was plain a bad idea. Um, and you know, as I got older, like the truth became more and more and more negotiable. And then going into adulthood, um, you know, uh, you know, I never had any moral pangs about lying. I actually kind of took pride in my, my, my ability to do so. And the fact that I got better and better at it. Then I ended up in a line of work at which being a very good liar was praised, worshiped and financially rewarded. Um, and then birds of a feather, you know, truthful people, honest people want nothing to do with you after they sniff you out, which is happens relatively fast. The next thing you know, everybody in your world are people that you don't trust and they don't trust you. Um, and for me, you know, the root, of course, of it was covering up my addiction, you know, where my money went, where my time went, where was I when I was supposed to be someplace uh, like somebody shared earlier this morning, one lie leads to another lie, leads to another lie. You know, what a tangled web we weave. And coming into recovery, I kind of like use the same strategy. I'm like, okay, who says? But now I'm starting to feel more and more of a pang of regret every time. And, you know, in treatment, they gave me a definition of lying is the intent to deceive. Meaning that you can say something that's completely true, but if your intent is to deceive somebody, especially in order to give yourself an advantage or make yourself look better, um, then you've told a lie. That means leaving things out that are pertinent. Um, so anyway, I have a new definition of what honesty is, and it's very hard to live with. But anyway, thanks for listening. Good afternoon. My name is Israel. I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic from Muncie, New York. Um, to be honest, uh, to bring to the light, <laughs> I don't know what was so funny about that. Uh, um, no, in, in, in honesty, I came up here because this is being live streamed. I was hoping someone back home would hear my voice, and that kind of gave me an idea. Um, uh, yeah, um, I... Other people mentioned about, you know, getting up to speak at at least one of these meetings, and I've done that a few times, and somehow this one is, uh, is you know, my chest is beating a little harder, um, maybe because we're talking about honesty here. I hope I was honest in the other ones. Um, yeah, when I was a kid, uh, we had this book uh, growing up called Ellie and the Little White Lie. Um, basically Ellie had himself a little white lie and, uh, um, he, uh, he decided to tell a lie and, and not tell the truth. And the little white lie became a different color and got a little bigger. Um, and then the lie got even bigger and the little white lie was like this little monster looking teddy bear. And it got so big, he had to try to stuff it in the closet, which 
makes sense, you know, stuffing things coming out of the closet, so to speak. Um, and uh, finally, he just told the truth. And the little white lie turned into this big purple monster and blue and then red and then white back to the little white lie. And all it was was, you know, kind of white, you know, makes sense for me because when I put things down in black and white, um, I can see what they are and not what my brain rationalizes. So that's what I got. Thanks. Perfect time for me. Hi, I'm Jacob. I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic from New York City now. Uh, that changes on daily. Um, yeah, I also knew that book. Uh, I think it was my favorite book, so uh, interestingly enough. Um, but it comes to show if we just, a little bit of honesty, you know, that big secret that we have just shrinks back up and... You know, and if we don't take care of the next thing, it's going to grow back up. And, you know, all we got to do is just give it away. Um, you know, I just really have one thing to say on it is I've been trying to focus on since I relapsed just simple actions versus the complicated thoughts that I have in my head and translating them. You know, you know, I like to use exercise as a, uh, you know, an example. Um, you know, if you, psych yourself out to think that, oh, it's going to be so complicated and it's gonna, I'm not going to be able to do it, so you won't do it. But if you take a small step and you're like, you know, I'm just going to, you know, do something small and don't think too much about it and just do something, I think rigorously, being rigorously honest is one of those things. Just say what happened. Don't, you know, don't, you know, writing things down and all that, you know, that, that obviously we have to do our step work and, you know, save the complicated stuff for the step work, but one simple action that we could all do is just be rigorously honest. And, you know, all we got to do is just say what happened and that's it. And, you know, and, and like that, it goes back to a little white lie and say goodbye. So thanks. Hi everybody. Mario alcoholic, sexaholic. Um, I, uh, have trouble with the honesty of the sobriety date because uh, you can do a lot of, uh, they say 87% of people make uh, make up statistics. So, <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, numbers are tricky because you can uh, always kind of fudge the numbers. And uh, I was embarrassed at essay meetings and uh, other meetings to reveal the actual amount of time because I haven't had much sobriety under my belt even now. And uh, it's only in the past two years that I've gotten better. And um, so, for example, uh, I would have six or seven months of sobriety. And then five days before a meeting, I would act out and I'd have to tell them my sobriety date is five days. But they didn't, the thing that isn't, uh, truly revealed in that is that I was really getting better and I had a, a slip, but a relapse is a relapse and it's serious in both programs. So, uh, it's, it has to be accounted for. Uh, so that's the truth of that matter. And then the second thing I want to mention is that the truth has consequences. Uh, when I told my uh, community that I um, was looking at porn on my phone, uh, they got the Covenant Eyes uh, program and blocked it, um, and it was inconvenient for me, um, but it was something I had to tell them, and um, the consequence was I have to use that program now. Thank you. Thank you all for coming to the session today. Uh, anything you have heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. Let's all stand and say the third step prayer. Difficult.
I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.